This is Blankenship on Trial, West Virginia Public Broadcasting's podcast about former Massey CEO Don Blankenship and the Upper Big Branch Mine Disaster. I'm Scott Finn, Executive Director at West Virginia Public Broadcasting. We'll look at the evidence, the arguments, and why it matters. And you're listening to Blankenship on Trial. Today, the sentencing of Don Blankenship. I'm Scott Finn, Executive Director at West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Joining me is Ashton Mara, Assistant News Director, who's been covering this entire trial. Hey, Ashton. Hi, Scott. And Mike Kissam, he's a former Assistant U.S. Attorney and a lawyer with Bailey and Glasser. Hey. Hey, Scott. Mike was also there today. And Mike, tell us, what is the sentence? The judge gave Don Blankenship the maximum sentence for the the misdemeanor conspiracy that he was convicted of, and that is a year in prison and a $250,000 fine. And part of the controversy here is that's the maximum he could have gotten because it's a misdemeanor, what he was what he was uh, charged and convicted of. Remind us, what was that conviction of? It was a conspiracy to willfully violate uh, the mining safety laws. Uh, there was a different form of a conspiracy that the jury did not find him guilty of, which would have been a felony. And then there were two additional counts of lying to investors into the Securities and Exchange Commission, and, and he was found not guilty on both of those counts as well. So, Ashton, this sentence comes down. What's it like in the courtroom? What's the reaction? This morning, the courtroom was obviously packed with plenty of family members. And the sentence came down, and it was almost relief on some of their faces. Um, And as I spoke with some of the family members afterwards, they said, I got to the point where I thought, he's not going to go to jail. So when when the sentence actually came down, it was relief. There were some tears, um, but a room full of people who were heavily invested in, in that final decision. You talked to family members who all along were skeptical that he would ever see a conviction with jail time. I had one one family member in particular, Sherry Depoy, I've spent a lot of time with in the past couple weeks, and Sherry lost her brother, Boone Payne. Uh, and Sherry said to me as she walked out of the courthouse, she said the only thing that could have been better today was to watch him walk out of here in handcuffs. We won't get that, but this is good enough. And Scott, I would add that there was a lot of angst because many of these family members came into the courtroom today prepared to talk to the court, to address the court of sentencing. Some of them had prepared statements, and the judge ended up not allowing that. She Is there said, a reason she didn't? Yeah, she said they didn't qualify as quote-unquote victims for this offense of conviction, for this conspiracy charge under federal law. And you know, she made a very narrow ruling, and she frankly said that she didn't want to create a precedent for opening up these high-profile cases to all sorts of people talking and addressing the court that don't have a nexus, in her words, to the crime charged. It was interesting, Scott, you know, when she made this decision that she was not going to allow the family members to speak because they were not victims of this specific offense. She said they were victims of the accident at UBB, and that is not what he was convicted of. That was not what he was charged for. But Along those same lines, when Don Blankenship got up to address the court, he began to apologize to the families. He began to talk about the miners that that died in that mining accident, and she cut him off. She said, I did not allow anyone to come up here and tell their side of the story, and we're not going to let you do that either. So feelings were running really high not just in the courtroom, but afterwards. Ashton, what was the scene outside like? Um, Don Blankenship and his attorney, Bill Taylor, walked out of the courthouse, swarmed by reporters, swarmed by family members, reporters yelling questions, family members yelling things like, you're the reason I had to bury my son. 
it was a very tense situation. And it got to the point where I think the there were a couple of Homeland Security officers who had been placed outside the courthouse. Um, they could see that it was getting tense and they shoved through the crowd. Is this common? I mean, Mike, you've, you've been involved in many cases to have that sort of melee outside the courthouse? I've never seen it. it, it there's, it's a rare case in federal court that has these kind of emotions. Uh, we have that many family members. And, and I, think, I think it was a combination of this very strange statement to the court that Don Blankenship made and the judge not allowing these family members to address the court. I mean, the, the defendant's statement is always strange in a case where he has not testified at trial. He's maintained his innocence, and he says he's going to appeal. But he did during the statement. He got up and said, you know, I just want everybody to know that I'm not guilty. That's how he started his statement. So, And that's always an odd situation, and many defendants just won't address the court. Their lawyer will just explain, look, given the situation, if we prevail on appeal, we're going to be subject to retrial. He's not going to, he's going to maintain his silence. But what was odd about it is he spent several minutes thanking people. And it was like he was receiving an award or something. He was thanking his lawyers and his friends and people who wrote letters on his behalf. And he thanked the families for for being courteous in the courtroom. It it was a very strange statement. And I think that coupled with the families not being able to address the court, it caused emotions to boil over outside. Yeah, strange for a criminal defendant, but maybe not so strange for a CEO or former CEO who wants to still feel like he's in control of the situation. I agree. Uh, so what happens next? Uh, Blankenship was not let out in handcuffs. He's a free man as of tonight, right? Yeah, he was allowed to self-surrender. That is not at all unusual for a defendant like him who's on uh, bond. Uh, he was His motion, however, to be released pending appeal was denied by Judge Berger. Uh, that doesn't surprise me because to find otherwise, she would have had to second guess her own decisions. Okay, let's, let's t- 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 take this back just a sure. little bit. So he is free tonight. But he is not free until his appeal is over. What does that mean? Well, what will happen is the Bureau of Prisons will send him a letter in the next normally about six to eight weeks designating a facility where he'll serve and giving him a date certain that he's supposed to show up at that facility and begin serving. And, and based on this schedule, we could expect that to be midsummer. He had asked Judge Berger to, to hold off that part of the process to order his release pending appeal. She denied that. And now he's made clear that he intends to ask the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit in Richmond to give him that same relief. And he'll do that immediately in the next couple of weeks. He'll ask for his release pending appeal. And so this appeal to the Fourth Circuit, what are the things that are going to be brought up? And what's your expert analysis of whether or not he has much of a shot? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a very difficult appeal. There are two basic categories. The first are a couple of overarching legal issues. And the one we heard a lot about today is they believe he was charged not with active participation in a conspiracy to break the mining laws, but with this passive acceptance that violations were occurring and not doing enough to fix them. And they don't think that meets the standard. So that's a that goes to how the jury was instructed onto the legal elements of the crime. And that's a legal issue for the Fourth Circuit to look at. There's a, then there's a whole series of issues with how Judge Berger ran the trial, um, the fact that she didn't allow uh, a recross examination of Chris Blanchard, who was one of the star witnesses. You know, those sort of trial management issues are extremely difficult to prevail on appeal. Uh, he probably has a, you know, he would have a, a better chance with his legal issues. But he's asking the Fourth Circuit to really get into a new area, uh, and I, I think it's a difficult appeal. So, Ashton, um, so many family members came to the trial or a lot of the trial, and so many more showed up today, and you've covered it from start to finish. 
I just want to get your reaction to um, the experience today and being with these families and spending time with them outside the courtroom, too. You know, how, how has this affected you? There were, you know, five or six of them that were there every single day of the trial. And on top of that, every single day that we waited for the jury to deliberate. And that's all of us, all of us reporters, the family members, basically sitting in a hallway waiting for somebody to tell us what was going on. Um, I felt like there were certain certain families that I got to know very well. And they made me feel as if I was a part of their family. Um, so, for example, I talked about, you know, Sherry Sherry Depoy earlier and her sister, Shirley Witt. They lost their brother in the accident. And this week I've probably spent the most time with the two of them. And, you know, they both walked out of the courthouse today with smiles on their faces. When in December... We walked out of that courthouse after the verdict, and it was the exact opposite reaction. The same with Gary Corals. Gary has been very outspoken throughout the entire trial since the accident happened. Gary lost his son, Gary Wayne. Um, and Gary Corals walked out of that, that courthouse today with a smile on his face. And I said, do you feel like you got justice? And he said, you know, somewhat, somewhat. But for them... It's not necessarily about the appeal. For them, the next step are the changes that can come. Gary said to me that he plans to talk to Senator Manchin about changing the the legal penalties that can be assessed to CEOs in these types of cases. I talked to Sherry and Shirley earlier this week, and they are both set on seeing those kinds of changes, increased penalties for people at the top of the corporate ladder. Mike, I know there are a lot of people that are bitterly disappointed that the penalties aren't more severe already. And yet, I mean, you have a former CEO of a major company, a major mining company, but a major company in America uh, who's facing jail time because of uh, mine safety conspiracy violations. Unusual, right? And histor historic in a yes. sense. Yeah, it takes me back to something we discussed after after the verdict, which is, you know, the impact for for the government, for Booth Goodwin, then the U.S. attorney, uh, and Steve Ruby, who who led the investigation, the impact for them is that they obtained a conviction of a CEO and chairman of a publicly traded coal company. And it sets a precedent. If, God forbid, there's another catastrophic accident in the coal mining industry in this country, you can be assured that the federal investigators and prosecutors will be looking at this case and saying, was the same type of thing done here? Was the same type of conspiracy engaged in at another company and people will will treat this as the high watermark and if something like that were to happen again it, it that sort of prosecution would most likely be pursued that's mike hissom he's a former assistant u.s attorney and lawyer with bailey and glasser who's followed the entire trial been so generous with his time coming in and being an analyst for us thank you very much thanks for having me and ashton mara our reporter assistant news director who's covered the entire trial start to finish thank you ashton for your time thanks scott and this is Blankenship on Trial. Thanks for listening. Blankenship on Trial is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Our theme music is by Matt Jackford. See illustrations from the trial, daily updates, and more on our website, wvpublic.org. And make sure you follow us on Twitter for the latest, at Ashton Mara and at WVPublicNews. Thanks for listening. <laughs>